HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer, the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, today. Um, so this show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what, is it, what exactly are they? Japanese food is still mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guests today are Tim Sullivan and John Puma, who are the hosts of the Sake Revolution podcast. The Sake Revolution podcast started in January 2020, and each episode is so informative and so much fun that I've never missed any episode of the show. And Tim is a sake expert and the founder of UrbanSake.com. He's also an honorable sake samurai as well. It is a title given by the Japanese Sake Brewers Association to those who promote sake and Japanese culture. He joined Japan Eats already twice in episodes 32 and 100. And John is also a sake expert and a founder of Sake Notes, which is a fascinating website all about sake. And I got lucky to be on their podcast and we, we played the episode in episode 237. So listeners, if you have not listened to it, hopefully you will and you'll get the idea of how fun and educational sake revolution is so today um i'm sure many of our listeners have tried sake and started to like it but not sure how to move on to the next step of discovering the fantastic and profound japanese national beverage so we'll discuss how you can proactively explore japanese sake also tim and john brought a special sake so uh, they will teach us how to taste sake as well but before we start, Japan is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify and listen, uh, subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Tim Sullivan and John Puma. Hello, Tim. John, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi there. So... This is exciting, and yes. we are in studios, so yeah. <laughs> real life. Um, so, 
first of all, this is the best question to ask for listeners to get to know you. And it's everybody's favorite question, it seems like. So where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? Hmm. Oh, uh, so I am actually from really close by in Queens. I grew up uh, over in Flushing. Hmm. And growing up, I was awful. I didn't eat anything. I mean, I ate plenty of things, but it was all junk food. Mm. So lots of uh, lots of chicken fingers and hamburgers when I was growing up. And I was very resistant to trying any kind of new foods. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, Tim? And I am from Syracuse, New York, from upstate. And I grew up eating a very traditional American diet, chicken pot pie, steak on Sunday, and very, very traditional no spices, <laughs> nothing experimental. I think Taco Tuesday was as wild as it got. So. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> this uh, whole, the other side of the pendulum you grew up. Yes. Amazing. So, and uh, could you tell us when and how you got into sake? Well, I started drinking sake back in 2005, and it was my first time having premium sake ever. And it was so impressive to me that I wanted to study it more. And it kind of became my hobby. And then that morphed into my job. So from 2005 until today, it's been a whole growth in my interest in sake. Mm. Uh, I actually had it uh, on a trip to Japan in 2006, and I didn't fall in love right away. Um, that really didn't happen until we got back to New York and found out that we can get sake here and that there is a kaya's here, sake bars here. So my friends and I started going to uh, all of those sorts of places and really discovering sake, really getting into it. And it became uh, a hobby, you know, a hobby. Now it's a much bigger hobby. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, it was a, it was a game changing experience back then. Right. So both of you mentioned the word hobby. So that's mm -hmm. the keyword. So from hobby to the next level sake expert, experts like you, so you're a host of sake revolutions anyway. So so how um how long did it take to get gain your knowledge to become this beyond the hobby? Mm. Well, I would answer that question by saying if you love sake, you're gonna be the eternal student. <laughs> I'm always learning new things and always tasting new things. So it's very hard to call yourself an expert when you, you know, always have new and exciting experiences with sake. So I just say you have to dive in and you have to keep tasting mm. and always be open to new things. And mm -hmm. you'll never stop learning. That's what I feel. I don't, I don't know if I'm an expert either. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the best but, students say. And uh, I'm just an, yeah, a very avid student. Um, I do like learning about it. I like tasting it, experiencing uh, new things. Like Timothy said, it's always, it's always something new, always something that you didn't understand before, or maybe you thought you did. It's uh, a lot of time in, in sake, like, like in language and stuff like that, when you, you get to the point where you think you understand it, you learn that you don't know anything. Mm. <laughs> right. So it's like uh, you know, all the master sensei in the Japanese, something mm. dope, way of like judo kendo. Everybody says the top masters say, I'm just a student. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so as I take you guys are. So so um for for our listeners, so we want to discover Japanese sake. So what do you think is the best way to like one of them? I, I think you, you think is taking pictures, for example. Yeah, yeah. I think well, number one, get out there and try it. Try as many different, try as many different uh, types as you can. 
try, you know, try different styles. Uh, definitely track what you what you tend to like. Take photos. We all have cameras in our pockets now, mm. so there's no reason not to go in there. And every time you have you have something, you know, take a photo of the front, take a photo of the back, maybe, uh, and then jot some stuff down. Mm. Yeah, I've done a number of tasting events where people come up to me and they're like, oh, you're a sake expert. I had an amazing sake once. It was in a blue bottle. And um, do you know that one? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's why I always encourage people who are just getting into sake, maybe taking their first steps, always take a picture of the bottle and do something to remember the ones you liked because you can bounce off those and find more in that same style. Mm-hmm. Right. I also find it's very useful when you have those photos and you go someplace new that may not have that sake. The person helping you out might have had that before. You say, I've had this and I liked it a lot. Mm. You point to your phone, they might go, ah, all right, that one, and then find something that's similar for you. Mm. So maybe I my question jumped up a little too quickly, but um, the point of taking pictures, it's almost try to impress yourself, that's get the memory in your head so that you can make a reference for the next tasting, right? Yeah. A- another thing you can do in conjunction, John mentioned this a moment ago, is take notes. Mm. So when you write something down, it impresses more into your memory. So writing just a few words about the sake that you really liked, I think, will help you remember. And you'll be able to recall it more quickly when you're in the liquor store or in the restaurant and you need to order something. You can remember the brand name or the region, mm. and that can help you find something similar. Right. Before you get too drunk, so that you get still reading more. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, yeah, not, not just the world of Instagram and everything, taking pictures. But I think um, especially labels from Japanese sake can be, I mean, people try to create any beverage labels, but sometimes it's in Japanese language and you don't know what it means. So how, how do you, what's your impression of Japanese labels? Like? We've been talking about this a lot on the show lately, so it's very fresh in our minds, I think. Uh, And that is that, like, recently a lot more, a lot of sake breweries have been kind of changing the labels a little bit and not necessarily making them, you know, just a bunch of English on there, but uh, trying to make them seem a little bit more memorable, a little bit more uh, modern. And we've been, it's something that we've been noticing a lot, and it's something that we think really does help Westerners who are new to sake. keep track of this, you know, remember those models better. A lot of them have been doing like color coding. So they'll have like the same like logo with a different background or a different, you know, different foreground. And you just remember like, oh, I had this blue one with this symbol on it. I know I like that. And it's easy to remember. It's easy to uh, to kick that memory up when you see another model and you go, oh, I haven't had this one yet. Mm. Yeah. And I think that when consumers are confronted with the very old fashioned style labels that have lots of writing on them and are very packed with information and very old-fashioned designs like 1950s, 1960s looking, (laughs) it can be very intimidating Mm -hmm. and maybe even hard to tell it's sake. So um, I always encourage people to look at labels they're really attracted to as well. Mm -hmm. That's a great starting point. You may not love it after you taste it, but if it's an attractive label and something that you're interested in, that's a great jumping off point for learning more about what you do like and what you don't like. Mm, right. But I have to say that, um, you know, the, the overseas sake market is growing fast. 
thanks to experts like you guys. So Japanese sake producers are more aware. You have to adjust to the market so that it used to be like, you know, like Sony, like make good products, people buy it. It's, it's not that, that's not the attitude. It's not anymore. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, so you tend to pick yourself like more modern, like looking labels? Hmm. I mean, I might. <laughs> I mean, I think for us, we know the brands we like, we know the regions we like. So mm-hmm. when we go to the store, we're pretty well prepared for what we may want to buy for ourselves or for the podcast. But for beginners that are just getting started, like I said, you can use that label as a jumping off point. But another thing that I recommend mm. is for people to remember the prefecture. Now, Japan's made up of 47 prefectures or states. And if you find one sake, two sakes you like from Niigata or Yamaguchi, and you remember that prefecture name regionally, there may be other sakes in that area that match that style, use that rice, use that water source. And it's a great way to connect the dots and find more sakes you like. Mm. Could you give us, um, I would say, two examples of very specific region-specific characteristics? Do you want? Uh, yeah, I think I think I can do two rather quickly. So, um, my favorite region for sake is Yamagata. Yamagata is known for having a very uh, soft and fruity style of sake. And that's that's exactly where I like to go uh, for sake. That's uh, like my 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 palate's happy place, and so that is often when I'm going someplace and I see something is from Yamagata, I will gravitate towards it because I know that there's a pretty good chance that it's going to have some of those qualities that I really like. Uh, another really good example is uh, Niigata. Niigata has a very uh, well known, I want to say, uh, style to it where a little bit dry, a little bit crisp and goes great with food. Like that's mm. like the I, Tim am I, am I stepping out there is that you exactly where they're at? at all right. right. But I'm curious that you let's just dig it. Um what you said is uh, soft and fruity, right? Mm-hmm. So why do you think you like it? Why do I think I like it? Oh, that's a good question. Um I don't know. I I think I just that's, that's a like I I like like lightly fruity things and soft texture is really uh something that i really enjoy in in sake specifically mm. it's not something i think about in a lot of other beverages but when i'm having sake that's something i'm always like on the lookout for mm. so has it changed so far like in the past since 2006 have, has your preference changed yes but the first sake that i really like fell in love with had a lot of those qualities in it. And mm. I can see like when I, if I taste that old sake again, um, I can, I can be like, Oh, I can totally see how I got from here to, to my taste now. Interesting. Super interesting. And what's that? Do, do you have that preference when you drink it on its own or you, when you pair it with food? Uh, I like to focus on drinking sake on its own. Um, you know, I'm not adverse to pairing, but for me, my, my ideal situation is I'm sitting on my couch, I have a little glass in my hand and I'm sipping nice and slowly while something horrible is on TV. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm very strictly, and when you go out with me, I, you know, I'm just like totally want to taste like on its own because that's what it is to me. But yeah, but what about you, Tim? What's your kind of favorite style? Mm. Well, I really 
I lived in Niigata for one year. So the flavor profile that John was describing for Niigata, kind of crisp, clean, and light. I've come to really appreciate that. And it pairs very broadly. It's very refreshing on your palate. And, you know, sometimes if you have sakes that are too fruity or too rich, your palate can get tired out. But the light, clean style is easy to drink all night. And you mm. can pair it with almost anything that hits the table. And it is uh, really enjoyable. And it cleanses your palate, too. So it refreshes your palate. Mm. So if you've been eating something that's a little fried, few shit few sips of dry, clean sake, and then you can go on to sashimi or something else. Mm. So I've really come to appreciate and love this style from Niigata. I, I, it's kind of your DNA. You trained <laughs> yes, yourself. I trained. <laughs> but I, I, I love all kinds of sake, but, you know, everyone has their personal preference and that's mm. totally fine. Right. Interesting. Because I, I, um, I tend to prefer kind of like a super dry and then sometimes... I used to dislike very rice, strong rice flavors. But then one day I had that kind of sake. And the next day, when I'm walking on the street, I wasn't hungover or anything. It stays in my, I don't know, like a nose or wet nasal system. And that's like, huh, I kind of like this. <laughs> so I think my brain is kind of programmed to like it. And then next time I see it, it's like, oh, this is my kind of sake. So it's kind of traditional when it comes yeah. to what you like. I've seen many people's palates evolve over time. You know, John and I have been sake friends for many years, and we know many people that enjoy sake. And, you know, they might start out with something super fruity and juicy, and then they'll move to something more ricey and umami-driven, and then maybe they'll end up loving really light and crisp things. So everyone's palate is going to evolve, too, and that's that's wonderful. Mm, right, and then um, sometimes for if you go to sushi or makase, and like a special kitchen purse or something, and it gets sake pairings, then mm. probably you'd never want to drink the sake without this food or that kind of interesting combinations happen. And then that kind of uh, very strong personality sake becomes your favorite throughout the course. So it's all and, about... Yeah, that's a great way to learn about sake mm. is to do an omakase and do the pairing. And someone set it up for you and you can try different things. I love that. Don't like that. This was my favorite. And it's a great way to learn. Mm, right. So because otherwise, if you don't know, you can't choose from yourself. So right, that's a part of education. So yeah. um, so the tuition is dinner and second hearings. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so you're talking about taking notes, right? Mm -hmm. So what's on your list? Like, say, um, first of all, do you take notes uh, on your phone or try to memorize it? Uh, actually, so uh, years back, my wife actually made me a, a book. She actually had like, a, like an Amazon published little like uh, a book with just a bunch of like tasting pages on it. And so I often use that at home specifically. And that's been... Uh, really easy to just kind of go, you got the date, you put the information about the sake, and then I taste it and I kind of just jot down what I'm thinking, like you know, what it make, how it makes me feel, like um, what kind of aromas or tastes I've picked up on, like whatever, you know, however it's moving me. <laughs> wow. So what's on the on the list? Like you had to open the page, what? Oh, um, so so it's very, you know, we want to do the aroma and then it's like a very broad, like, you know, how's that flavor, you know, what, what does it do? Um, 
and then we have like a little uh, little chart of like how sweet, how dry was it, a very front forward, how was the finish, you know, things like that. Mm. Uh, and it it really does it kind of helps me understand my own uh, my own tastes and also like uh, how do I put this? Because I, I have to, um, I don't always know if my language is going to be something that translates well. So I don't know, I've not had every fruit out there. So if I read a tasting note that says something tastes or smells like dragon fruit, I don't know what that necessarily <laughs> smells like. So sometimes I will, you know, be you know, uh, sniffing uh, a sake and I'm like, God, this, I don't know what this is. It's very interesting. What is that? And I'll kind of jot that down and be like, some kind of a fruit. It's very tangy. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then I'll maybe look at somebody else's notes on the same sake and be like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. So this is this is what they're correlating it to. Mm. And that'll help me communicate that to other people in the future. But really the notes for the most part are for me and they're for me to understand myself. Mm. So it's kind of a base for your building your own dictionary. Right. Kind of. Wow. Yeah. But I want to caution people as well. Sometimes they almost think of it like a test. I have to take <laughs> notes and I'm going to fail if I don't know how sweet or dry it is. I met a woman once who her sake tasting notes consisted of smiley face ratings. So <laughs> one smiley face, didn't like it too much. <laughs> Three smiley faces, really good. Four smiley faces, my favorite. Mm. So that worked for her. And she wrote it down and she used that to remember. She'd write the name of the sake and the smiley faces. Like even that is awesome mm. because it helps you remember the name and how much you liked it. And it's all about enjoyment at the end of the day. It's right. not a test. Right, <laughs> it's, right. You know, it's uh, writing is just as much as it can be of service to you. Mm. That's how much you should write. I used to think there was a lot of pressure on me to try and get, the, get these notes <laughs> right and, to, and to, to have my language correlate to everybody else's. Um, but it doesn't always work that way. You know, mm. it's just some sake makes you feel a certain way sometimes when you're sipping it. And you can put that in your own words. And as long as you understand it, that's the important thing. Mm. Right. And also it's a kind of practice to try to expand your kind of uh, efforts to explore, like, what is this, what that? And even if you don't get there, it, it's fun. And and then uh, usually at the end, even if I can't, I can't just pin down the word, I just like put a stomach. One, <laughs> two, three stomachs. So that's my rating. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, but do you, uh, Tim, do you have a system to record? Yeah. I, I take notes on my phone and I, since 2005, I've been running a website called Urban Sake mm. and I have a database of over a thousand sakes on there with a picture of the bottle. I'm a very visual learner, so I can remember what the bottle looked like. So I always, always include a picture mm. and then the stats about the sake, the rice milling rate, I'm a nerd, so I'm really interested in all the numbers. <laughs> and then if I have any important comments, I'll write a very short tasting note. For me, it doesn't have to be a long paragraph talking about, you know, shoe leather and passion fruit. <laughs> and all this. So I keep it very simple. And uh, again, it's what serves me, what helps me remember. Mm. So that's what I recommend to people. Right. That's uh, if I want to find reference, that's that's you, my go-to place. Too. <laughs> Thank you. Right. But actually, you have sake notes, right? Mm -hmm. So that's your website, and that's kind of like a summary of your learning. Yeah. So it was. Um, it, it rarely update anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was uh, something that my wife and I were doing together, and it was kind of like a sake photo blog. 
and and then also we had some like videos that we were doing on the side and the you know it was just like i wanted to do something i wanted to like i whenever i have a hobby we, we talked about how this was a hobby whenever i have a hobby i, I get way too into it and I, mm. and I need to contribute something to the conversation. And so that was like my first attempt at what I'm going to contribute. Mm. And it was a lot of fun to do. Uh, we had, we, had uh, we hosted tasting events that were associated with that brand also. Uh, and then uh, obviously we stopped doing that and when the pandemic started, but um, you know, in the interim, we started doing this, uh, this podcast. That's mm. been where a lot of my energy has gone. Right. I think any outlet, uh, very responsibly created, that's very important because still English um, sake information websites are very limited. Mm-hmm. So yours are amazing. So congratulations. I hope you're going to keep doing it. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, all right. The sake, um, maybe you can just, well, because it's the listeners probably want to like, huh, what exactly my notes should be. So mm. do you have maybe details, <clears throat> some sort of yeah. checkpoints? Hmm. What do you, I, 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 don't, I wish I had my book on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's a few things that I look at. And it's very similar if you're used to doing a wine tasting notebook or you take little notes about the wines you're enjoying or the beers you're enjoying. It's no different for sake. You want to look at the uh, color of the sake first, then give it a sniff, make any notes about the aroma, and then give it a taste. And when I taste it, I pay attention to how sweet and dry it is, what flavors I taste, and then the finish. The aftertaste of the sake is really important too. Mm. So, in a nutshell, those are those are the points that I hit when I'm taking a quick note about a sake. Mm, right. So it's not as complicated as you think. No. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, all right. So we'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll taste a sake and and practice what we have just discussed. So please stay with us. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guests today are Tim Sullivan and John Puma, who are the host of Sake Revolution podcast. So, so you brought a beautiful sake. Um, so we'll taste it together and learn how to approach a new sake and take notes. So, but first, what is the background? I mean, what is the sake and what is the background of this sake? Well, this is a sake from a brand called Masumi out of Nagano Prefecture. And this is their Hiyao Roshi. That is a fall release namasake. 
And this is a seasonal style of sake that is really, really delicious. They brew it in the wintertime, they pasteurize it once, and then they let it age over the summer. And then it's released without a second pasteurization. Right. So it's uh, considered a namazume style or hiyaroshi. And uh, it is really, really great example of this style. And because it's in season now, fall is just starting, we really wanted to bring something that was unique and seasonal mm. for you to taste. Right. For listeners who want to know this, these details, namazume and hiyaroshi, listen to Sake Revolution. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. But they basically, some sake is usually um, pasteurized twice to, yep. to prevent any, you know, problems later. So this one uh, is just... Um, Pasteurized once, yes. and it's released in the fall. Yeah. So that really indicates sake is a very seasonal product. Absolutely. Yes. Right. right. So let's right. open. Sound effect. <laughs> so we're just pouring. Hopefully, uh, listeners, you heard the delicious sound of pouring sake. So. So let's see, how do you evaluate first? Well, I give it a quick look in the glass and see if I see any color. Most sake is clear, so usually you won't see much color, but you want to see how, how clear it is, how transparent it is, and if there's any shade of yellow or a little bit of amber color, um, you just want to pay attention to that. This is relatively clear, just a, a, just a hint of uh, something um, yellowish. and. Uh, Next, I would give it a smell. Mm. Mm. Mm, smells great. It does. <laughs> fruity. Yeah, it's fruity, but isn't there a richness there as well? It's not like fresh tropical fruit, but more rich and concentrated I mean, fruits. I'll take some butterscotch <laughs> underneath. Mm, yeah, so a concentrated sweetness. Mm, and then... After you've enjoyed the aroma, you want to give it a taste. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. As, as the taste is concentrated, there's a viscosity yes. in it. Yeah. There's a hint of sweetness and um, really nice finish as well. Mm -hmm. hmm. There's a nice little richness in there, like you mentioned on the nose. And it's, it's, it's really playing nicely with the fruit. And the, mm. with the sweetness, it's really, really well balanced in that way. Mm. Right. And then just like a aftertaste, a little slight acidity. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. this viscosity keeps that taste last longer. Yeah. For me, sipping on this sake, instead of being bright, juicy, and fresh, it tastes a little bit more rounded and more on the aged side. So there's there's a that kind of concentrated flavor you can get with sakes that are laid down for a little bit longer. Mm. They get a richness to them. And that really comes across on the taste to me. Right. So if this the same sake was released, bite of it was made in spring, they could have been that fresh, juicy, it, exactly. lively. That's exactly right. right. Mm -hmm. And this is probably more uh, better with food from autumn. So. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. It's be it's becoming the season now where people are starting to think about hot pot dishes or stews or nabe, things like that. And they have a little bit of richness and warmth to them. And I think this sake would pair beautifully with that, mm. like a, a tofu nabe or something like that. 
I'm very happy that it's there for people who enjoy it, mm. but it's just not for me. And mm. uh, actually is a thing that makes me happy when that happens because there's a sake out there for everybody. Mm. It's every sake, I don't have to love every sake. It doesn't, it, they're not all made for me. They're made for other people too. Right. That's the whole point, isn't it? Right. So it's like your favorite show on Netflix or something like that. It's just <laughs> as you wish. You just feel like it. Then you take notes if you want to. And then, yeah. I, um, yeah so do you um, have any other reference? Like, you know, like, of course, your websites, right? But um, any books or any other resources or courses, classes, anything? Well, I teach some classes with the Sake School of America. So I've been a teacher with them for many years, and we have uh, different levels. If you want to get a little bit more involved in sake on a professional level or earn a certification, so that's a course that I teach, and it's now offered online since the pandemic. Mm. And uh, that's great. If you want to take the next step and go a little bit deeper into sake, I really recommend the Sake School of America. Mm. What's the website? SakeSchoolofAmerica.com. All one one word. Yep. Mm. Okay. And... Hmm. Uh, for me, I like to kind of get in the get in the weeds a little bit when I'm learning about a brand or a brewery or a sake. I have a sake that I really like. I want to find out about them, so I'm gonna I'm gonna look them up on the internet. I'm I'm gonna look up if they, if they have a Japanese site. I'm gonna try to find the Japanese site. Google Translate is really really good these days, and you can find out a lot about their other offerings. You know, a lot about like how they make sake, what kind of rices they use. Uh, and it's all very readable, and it'll help you kind of understand the brewery a little bit better. I think that's a, a fun thing. It wasn't, it wasn't always available to us because Google Translate was a little, a little <laughs> shaky for a long time. But, <laughs> but these days, it does a, a really good job. Mm. Yeah, when I do any research for writing or a podcast, and I go to Japanese sake brewers website, there's like the soul is there, passion and mm-hmm. love and everything. It's very um, much in it. So everything's so expressive and history and their philosophy so okay i i didn't know that google translate so it's, it's much better than before yeah oh, yeah it was, it was there were some rough times <laughs> i know yeah you have to be a little bit of a detective sometimes right. if you find a sake you love no english website what john said put it in google translate and see what you get you can learn a lot it's right. really it's it's uh for us it's really fun to do yeah mm. yeah and even better if you can travel again no, right mm-hmm. now, especially mm-hmm. to Japan, but it's, I think it's coming up. We can start traveling. So how do you visit breweries? We do it very differently from one another. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Our Japan travel is, is polar. Is a, uh, we're very opposite in that way. Tim, why don't you give us your, your ideal <laughs> trip to Japan? <laughs> well, what John's referring to is that when I go to Japan, I pack in absolutely every brewery visit I can muster, sometimes two a day wow. if they're in the same town. So a minimum of one brewery a day traveling all around the country with my Japan rail pass. <laughs> and I just try to pack in as much as I can if I'm there for two weeks. And that's not what John does at all. Mm. <laughs> no, when I go to Japan, I'm on vacation. Right. Um, so I like to visit maybe two cities, maybe a third for a few days. And my goal mostly is to just kind of get a feel for the local um, izakaya and sake scene. I really love going to local bars and local izakayas and in a given city and finding what kind of hidden gems they have, find out like what kinds of sakes they're into. Because it's not always the local sake. 
sometimes it's very popular brands in parts of the country that you would not expect. Um, they're like very far away from where they're originating. And I do try to put in a brewery visit every, every trip. Mm. So, but I try to limit it to just the one because I think that's a, going to the brewery is very involved. Sometimes they're, uh, sometimes they're a little out of the way to get to. Um, but I like to just try to keep it as, 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 light as possible mm. and then again we'll have like that one day where we have an appointment we have we go to the brewery we do you know we see everything that they are doing and they're always fascinating we always learn so much mm. um but it is we don't like to do appointments when we're, uh, yeah. <laughs> when we're on vacation right yeah <clears throat> i'm like that i just like wake up in the morning and then i don't know what to do today but i'm i'm gonna do something new it's, different but it's gonna be fun right exactly <laughs> you decide it's gonna be fun right but i think you know like um even if you just stop in just very popular, no appointment place, and then you go out for dinner that night and like, oh, wow, that's the sake. Mm. You tasted the brewery. Mm. And it's like, a, I don't know, just a, that special feeling of I know that place makes it even more delicious. So, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I have always said that when I started visiting breweries 13, 14 years ago, my admiration for sake went through the roof mm. because you saw with your own eyes how much hard work goes into making sake. Blood, sweat, and tears, literally. Mm. So my appreciation for sake grew tremendously when I started seeing where it was made. And I always say in my classes, sake is not a liquid in a bottle. It is really also the people that make it. Mm. And when you visit a brewery, any chance you get, it's a great way to appreciate that. Right. And also you actually became a part of the blood. Yes. <laughs> and tears and Some of my sweat is in there. Some of my sweat. <laughs> Probably not too much. Not, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, salty. Just a, just a whisper. Right. <laughs> okay. mm. So, um, yeah. So how do you, where do you go? I mean, like say New York, let's see, New York City and every, everywhere else and anywhere else. <laughs> where do you go to taste sake? Well, I can talk about New York. We've been here for the pandemic, with no, no travel for me. So there's a few places I love. Um, one place I love to go to is a very well-known Decibel. It's a sake bar underground in the East Village. And the last time I was there, I actually had the Masumi Hiyaroshi. So I mm. recently went there and this was their seasonal sake on offer. So. I had a chance to try this and it just blew my socks off. You know, it was amazing. So you can always try something fresh and new there. And uh, it has a great selection. And, you know, it's a great thing to do before dinner, after dinner. They're usually open pretty late. And mm. it's a great place to try a variety of sake. It's almost like a Dimas place, the home of sake this <laughs> yeah. in history, too. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I've been I'm in New York because again I've been traveling. Uh, in New York, I've been uh, venturing over to Industry City more often mm. because you know a lot of good restaurants over there that have a lot of uh, Japanese food and a lot of good sake selections like Waku Waku. Uh, we can visit Brooklyn Kuro while we're there and see what what kinds of things they've been up to and and, and taste their new sakes. Uh, and then uh, Kurichi, do get a bottle of something that you enjoyed while you were over there. Mm. It's a it's a nice little area to get all of these all these things done in one in one session, I guess, in one day. Mm. Well, it's amazing, right, how many new things are happening in terms of sake. And um, I was I just got a newsletter um, for the new season school 
classes invitation from WSET, which is, you know, the wine and other beverage tasting. This is like a sake specific course mm-hmm. they even offer. So like, wow, wow sake came a long way. Yeah. Amazing. For sure. Right. Okay. Um, so I know you are really great at sake revolution. And uh, do you have any plans about the podcast and beyond? And beyond. Uh, <laughs> I mean, dreams, plans. Uh, hmm, I don't know, Timothy, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you merch, mean? Merch, merch, merch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to be launching some stuff. Uh, we've, been, we, we've had people ask us about shirts a lot, mm. and we've been trying to find a good supplier for shirts. And hopefully in the near future, we will have a, a supplier figured out, and then we'll start doing that sort of thing. Yeah, and the other thing we talk about all the time on the show is travel. So mm-hmm. when it's safe to travel again, we would love to do a show from Japan or from another part of the country and go on location. That was our original idea. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic started right when our uh, f- first few episodes were coming out. Right. So we ended up on Zoom instead of traveling from location to location. So when things evolve over the next year, I would love to see us travel to Japan, do some on location episodes and have guests that we can visit their brewery, visit their restaurant, and talk to them right there. Mm, I can't wait. Mm, I'm, I'm all right with visiting a brewery to do an episode there. That's great. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but then afterwards, you've got to come to one of our favorite bars in, in the city. Deal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, I think it's really, you know, Japan's uh, vaccination rate exceeded America now. Mm-hmm. They said it's so late, but, you know, once they decide, they yes. just do it. Yes. <laughs> so I think a whole ban banning, like, you know, quarantine things is going to be lifted sometime soon. So yeah. I hope so. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. Ready. Yeah. So I'm very much ready. I'm like, mm. So um, in terms of sake revolution, I mean, you have very interesting, like, you know, some series of sake rise to very kind of fun, but very well structured. So I'm going to stay that format, like. Um... Yeah. So we, we we sometimes we'll do a bunch of episodes around you know around a, a a style of episode or a format like like the rice episode, the wild rice series, where we every episode we taste sake that uses a specific type of rice, and we'll talk about the history of the rice, um, you know how, where it originated, uh, and 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 then just really kind of talk about what that brings to the sake. And those have been a lot of fun, and we're going to keep doing those. Um, but lately, we've been doing more um, brand or brewery-focused mm. episodes. I think we've been calling that branded. I like the name. <laughs> and those have been a lot of fun because they're just a really great excuse to, to to talk about and focus on really fun sake. Mm. And that's been that's been great for us. Yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying this deep into the background. Yeah. W- one thing that we decided was really important to both of us was including a tasting in every episode. Mm. We didn't want it to be just us talking about Yamada Nishiki for 30 minutes and then say, okay, thanks for joining us. You know, we really want the experience. And if people want to, you know, learn about sakes without having to go out and buy a bottle necessarily, you can listen to our podcast, make a note of what we tasted. If it sounds good based on our description, that might be a good one for you to try. Mm. So we we taste a lot of sakes, so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, the, you know, it's a like really compact 30 minutes and then about half of it, that's a tasting process with the background details. So the practice we had, you do every time. 
And I yeah. learn a lot. Good. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, where can we find Sake Revolution? Uh, you can find Sake Revolution at SakeRevolution.com. But more importantly, you can find it on your podcast platform of choice. We're on just about all of them. I think Tim, Tim handles all of that. And he yeah. does a really good job of getting us out there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We're also on Instagram at Sake Revolution Pod and on Twitter and Facebook. So you can find us pretty much everywhere. But the website is a great home base. Mm, right. And that's where we can get the updates on merch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the show notes. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You, sh you guys sh do the show notes very, very well. So, yeah, well, it's. I think with sake, especially with the bottles, it's very important to see what we're talking about a lot mm. of the time. So, if you go to the site, you can see exactly what the bottle looks like. Uh, a lot of the time, Tim will go and find pictures of the breweries if we're doing an episode on a brewery, and those are always really fascinating to look at. Mm. Uh, and then sometimes Tim's in those photos at the breweries. Those are a lot of fun right. too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, so last episode, you hit, you visited the photo shooting and then you took the, the uh, sakedama. Yes. And then yes. you get the drenched because <laughs> yes. there's a lot of uh, the water in sakedama. I had a mishap, but that's, that, that's one fun thing is that John and I can both tell stories about our trips to Japan, what went well, what didn't go well, what we tasted, what weird food we ate. And I think that for us, since we can't travel right now, it's even more fun to reminisce about these experiences. But you can read all about it in the show notes. So mm -hmm. check it out on the website for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that to summarize, I don't have to summarize because there's so much to in, in here. But I think the sake is fun. And mm -hmm. then you are having fun together to discover it too. And after listening to your podcast, I, I was smiling my face always. So. <laughs> I was so glad. That's <laughs> Thank great. <you>. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, good luck. And uh, hopefully you're going to come back for more. Uh, we'd love to. Anytime. Yes. Anytime. Okay. We're not that far away. Right. That's true. <laughs> All right. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for short topics or guests, please contact us at japaneats at heritageradionetwork.org or kikukatem.com. Japan Eats is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. And uh, so Tim, John, thank you for joining us. And our engineer today is Amen Spenjan, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japan Eats is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.